You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 31 with Lorraine Sanders. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hi, guys. This week is going to be a lot of fun. We have media strategist and fashion podcaster Lorraine Sanders on the show today. She chats with us about starting her own business, The Spirit of 608, shopping ethically and what that looks like, and helping people with do-it-yourself media public relations. So you guys, if you have a business, a side hustle, MLM, a blog, whatever it is, and you're trying to get it out there and you need some tips on media strategy, make sure you listen to at the end of the show because she walks us through some things that I feel like are a little bit out of the box of what I'm used to hearing. So I think it will provide you some great tips. Um, but moving back on to the whole shopping scenario, we talk about capsule wardrobes, clothing subscription services, online apparel and accessory rentals, and why we think you will love it. So I hope this show inspires you to be more ethically savvy when it comes to your shopping and be more intentional with your purchases, but still having fun and looking good. Let's go to the show. Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker. I love to travel. And so I love asking people where their favorite destinations are. So what is your favorite vacation spot that you have gone to and why? And this can be with or without kids. Gosh, well, I love pretty much, I mean, you know, there's so many places in the world that I've been to that I absolutely love. So it's hard to pick one, but I'll give you one. Last summer, my husband and I were lucky enough to be able to go uh, to Europe for our 10th anniversary. And we actually went without kids, which yeah. was our, my in-laws, um, wonderful, fabulous Aww. anniversary present to us. That's sweet. And, and on the trip, we went to Croatia and it was absolutely, I think it may be my favorite European country so far. I mean, the people were so just welcoming and nice. And, and, um, we were able, we went to Dubrovnik for yes. uh, about four days mm. and it was just gorgeous and fun. And there was culture and there was great, you know, wine and it was just a fabulous place to go. So that's, that's my pick for you. Yeah. You know what? That's on my list. And I literally was just at Trader Joe's last week and this guy was telling me about his trip there and how he just loved it so much with his girlfriend. And, um, I just thought, Oh, you know what? I really want to go there. And, and that's a new, um, destination that I've been wanting to go to probably since last year. I don't think I knew much about it before then. And then I started seeing pictures and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this place is gorgeous. And I wanted to ask you, um, uh, what time of year did you go? When did you go? What month? Okay. So it was hot as, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll get out. It yeah. was <laughs> it was in August. Okay. And so the interesting thing is that I mean it's it's incredibly hot, but there's so many islands around Dubrovnik. And what a lot of people do is get on a sailboat and do this kind of charter, you know, from island to island sort of thing. We were staying in one place for the time we were there, but we did take a boat trip out one day and you can go to all of these really cool spots. Like they have swimming in sort of caves and beaches that you can hang out on. And so there's plenty of chances to get out on the water, but it was pretty warm. I mean, we didn't want to go walking around um, the old town until about seven o'clock, mm. you know, each night right. when the sun was going down, but yeah. then it was gorgeous. And, you know, it was, it was, it was really cool. So if you went back, what month would you probably say this would actually be really ideal? Hmm. I don't know. I think, you know, I'd probably try for late spring or 
maybe um, in the fall. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that I, I really liked the heat mm. for the, you know, being able to in go swim and yeah. do the water stuff. So, um, you know, maybe like a May or June might be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how did you come up with that idea to go there? Gosh, I'm trying to think. My husband and I just had always had it on our list of places that we wanted to visit. And then mm-hmm. about a year ago, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were living in Poland. So they decided oh. to mm-hmm. spend about half a year there. And while they were there, they took a bunch of trips uh, around Europe just in their weekends off. And they went to Croatia and they had this amazing time. And so oh, that yeah. sort of sealed the deal for me yeah. and pushed it from like yes. a sort of someday maybe to, to a, oh God, I got to go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so how old were your kids when you went last year? Because you, you know, I know okay, that some, so like, a lot of people are listening thinking, okay, that's far away. So how old are her kids? Because that's what I always factor in. Like I use that as a gauge. So how old yeah, are they? So my kids are currently, I'm like, you know, people ask you how, do you ever have that moment where you're like, how old are my kids? <laughs> or how old are um, you? Or how old you how old are you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, I don't know how old I am. <laughs> um, so they were three and a half and uh, almost six. Okay. And now yeah. they're four, four and, and change and, and okay. almost seven. So, and you felt, yeah. and you felt okay. Like you were like, okay. Or was it yeah. really anxious yeah, I mean, leading up to it? <laughs> my in-laws came and stayed at our house and yeah. so, and they were going to summer camp the whole time. Oh, so perfect. they were really occupied yes. and, and during the day. And then my kids have spent a lot of time, I mean, not a lot of time apart from us, but I've traveled for work, mm. you know, since they were born and I've always had some kind of, um, you know, childcare help so I can yeah. run my business. So they're really comfortable with us. Sure. I mean, they miss us, but oh, yeah. frankly, <laughs> when I called home, they were like, Okay, gotta go. Yeah, we're busy with grandma <laughs> right, and grandpa. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I love it. Now, did you go for a week? So our entire trip was about, oh gosh, it was maybe like nine days. We stayed in Croatia for uh four and a half of the days, and then we went to um New York and Amsterdam as well. Oh, okay. So uh, how long would you say if you were just going to Croatia, what do you feel like is a good amount of trip, um, including the travel time? You know, you have to adjust to that. So would you say you know, you only need five days or would you say six days to eight days? You know, I think ideally I I would have loved to have been able to stay long enough to have a car and drive Mm. up and down, you know, throughout the country because there's a lot of interesting places. So, I mean, in an ideal world, you'd be able to go for a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. I know. I love that. And and, and I'm just asking, because, you know, sometimes just with the the time difference and then the travel time, you get there and you're like, oh, I wish we would have stayed a little bit longer because you got to turn around. So that's why I always love asking people those questions to kind of get a good gauge on, you know, how long to be there. And, um, and, and then the other thing that I was going to ask you is, I know you said you've been to a lot of places. So I do love asking people what their second place is when they've traveled a lot. So what would be your second runner up? It would be your runner up, I should say. <laughs> Okay, yeah, South, South Africa. A- South Africa. Okay. Yeah. So where did you go in South Africa? So we went to Cape Town and then to the wine country, which is about an hour outside. So the town called Franschuk, and then there's another area called Stellenbosch. And then we went to a region in the middle of the country called Mpumalanga. That's beautiful and has a lot of you know hiking and, and just um, kind of beautiful landscape. And then yeah. we also went to do a safari a uh, couple of days in a place that's um, in, it was outside of what's called the Timbavadi game reserve. And oh, cool. so we went to a bunch of different places within the country that was on our honeymoon and Ooh, we were yeah. there for, for three weeks. So we had yeah. a pretty good, 
stretch. And yes. it was, it was amazing. And there's a lot of obviously like history that's very fraught in, in culture there that I found really fascinating to explore. And then it was also uh, beautiful and there's wine country. So there was just so much to do, but there was also, um, I love going on trips where it's not just, I mean, I love every once in a while, just putting my feet up and, and reading kick, a book. kicking yeah. it on the, bo- yeah. Yeah, on right. the beach. But yep. I, if I'm going to pick a big destination, I usually yes. want to go somewhere where I feel like it's really do something fulfilling on a yeah. bunch of different levels. And that yes. certainly, certainly was. Yeah. We went to, so we went uh, uh, to Cape town for a mission trip. So it was slightly different, but we did get to enjoy, um, the scenery and we did get to go, um, uh, on a safari in, um, oh, now I'm trying to remember if it was in Johannesburg or near there. Um, it's, it's all blending together now, but, um, and, and it was amazing. And so I always think it would be so great to go back and, you know, experience it uh, fully and not have it be just part of a mission trip so that you could fully enjoy it as a traveling trip. But, um, the person who was on, um, not that long ago, um, Danielle Taconi, she went to South Africa on her honeymoon and described it. And so now you're the second person who's gone on their honeymoon to, um, Cape town and stuff like that. So I think people are going to probably start adding that to their list. So anyways, um, I love talking about travel. I can honestly probably do a whole show on that. So, uh, but we'll move on. And, um, how about you tell us, um, about yourself and how you got to where you are today? So, I am, I guess, still a journalist, but that's really my professional background, although it's not what I focus on day to day. And I spent the majority of my career after college working in the media in some form or another. And I started out as a copywriter and went back to school to get a a master's in communications and went on and um, was writing basically for as many different publications as I could. And I started out as a a generalist. I mean, I I covered all kinds of different stuff for different people, including travel. And that was something I did a lot early on was write about um, different travel destinations. I worked for a while as a blogger for the company Kayak that does the, you know, you can do air search and Uh all that stuff. So that was one of my earlier jobs. And um, I ended up uh, eventually sort of by accident, really stepping into writing about fashion. And it wasn't because I had any interest in fashion with a capital F. It was because I actually really, um, I, I'm not a big fan of fashion with a capital F. I started a blog about independent designers and how to find local design events and shop from people that, you know, you really could know uh, where your stuff was coming from. So your Etsy makers and your local small boutique designers in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so as I was growing this blog, which was really a personal interest of mine, I just couldn't find anywhere that had all the information I wanted about these people. And I thought I would gather it and then share it with other people who were interested. Um, You know, as I was doing that, some of my editors and people that I would meet and sort of pitch stories to would say, well, hey, we know that you also have this fashion-based blog. Do you want to write about fashion and style for us? And I said, sure. And then within a couple of years, I was primarily only writing about fashion. And from there, I really started to focus in um, starting in about 2010 on the business side of the fashion industry. And because I was in San Francisco uh, for many years, I moved last year to Virginia, but for 15 years, I was based in San Francisco. And there's a lot of technology out there. Obviously, you know, it's Silicon Valley. It's the heart of 
you know, startup land. And it made a lot of sense for me to be interested in and start focusing on the intersection of fashion and tech. And so the last couple of years where I was devoted to reporting, I was covering e-commerce startups, retail, sort of anything innovative and uh, high tech in fashion for the San Francisco Chronicle. Fast Company was one of my key places that I contributed to. And then uh, most recently, Women's Wear Daily, which is a business publication for the fashion industry. And so uh, I got a really great education in what was happening in the fashion space and then how clothes were made and what the apparel supply chains looked like. And um, over time, I realized that I was no longer just reporting about fashion and brands, but I was really sort of becoming more of an advocate in, you know, who I would pick to cover. Like I would see certain stories come through and I'd be like, eh, I don't really like how they do business. Mm. I'm going to cover these people that I think are innovative and who are doing things differently and, you know, producing more ethical uh, clothing lines and are putting a priority on sustainability and are using technology to make everything more efficient and more transparent. And so um, at one point, I just kind of realized that I no longer really wanted to just cover fashion. I wanted to be an advocate for the brands. And, you know, oftentimes the female entrepreneurs that are behind the brands that are doing things in a more positive and ethical way in this in this fashion space. And so um, I eventually transitioned over to devoting all of my time to the spirit of 608, which is a media company focused on elevating women, building businesses at the intersection of fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. And that's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so because it's such a mouthful, I call it FEST. It's a space that I see a lot of really interesting, exciting businesses coming mm, out of these days. Yeah, And so I, um, I, I do that. Now I have a podcast called The Spirit of 608. And we have a business arm to what we do as well. Um, that is essentially a digital DIY PR platform for best brands. Awesome. And how did you come up with the name of your company? The Spirit of 608? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's a long convoluted story tied to an 80s movie called The Legend of Billie Jean. I don't know if you remember oh, that movie. Oh, no, I don't. I don't okay. remember that. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's kind of an obscure film. Um, Helen Slater, who also played Supergirl at one point, is the mm. star. And in the movie, she runs into some trouble in her life and ends up accidentally becoming this teen outlaw and sort of folk hero. But it's all over a dispute of about $608. And oh. she ends up going and sort of standing up for her rights. And she goes through this wild 80s fashion mm. transformation where she yeah. shaves her head and starts oh. wearing this <laughs> wetsuit piece of clothing that's hilarious. <laughs> but um, I thought when I was naming it, I, I was like, what am I going to always think, you know, I'm always going to be happy about it. What is always going to make me go? Yeah. Like, I love this, even yeah. if the business implodes or yes. I have a terrible day. Yep. And so I love it. Um, that's what I it just makes it. you smile. Like when you're thinking about it, it makes me smile. And then that spirit of that kind of, you know, just go getter woman that yeah. is standing up for what she wants. Like I, that yep. is what I see in a lot of these founders that mm. are at the core of the podcast that I do and, and also the business itself. So it all just made sense. And yeah. it doesn't make sense um, on the face of it, but um, hopefully it does once I explain it to people. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Well, I'm going to jump into the first question and you kind of answered this a little bit, but you can dive into this a little bit more, but what was your why to starting the business and also doing your podcast? 
Well, so the podcast itself, I was doing while uh, still reporting and, and consulting and, and earning a living in different ways. And as I was growing the podcast itself, I mean, as you know, uh, starting a podcast is not necessarily like the most straightforward business no. model to pursue. No. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, well, I love this. I'm really passionate about it. I've never felt more enthusiastic and excited about producing content in you know, in any other way than podcasting. It's my favorite, hands down, even after years of writing and reporting and blogging and all this stuff. And so I was like, I have to figure out how to make this the core business. And I experimented with a couple of different ways to monetize it. And eventually I realized that I needed to pay attention to what the listeners of the show and the people in the audience were telling me. And that was that they needed media help. And they wanted Mm. me to help them figure out how to talk to journalists and bloggers and influencers, but they didn't have the money to pay the retainers that PR agencies typically Mm -hmm. charge. I mean, it's, I don't know if you've ever tried to hire one, but no, I haven't, you know, it's probably for anybody like halfway decent, you're looking at at least $3,000 a month and you're expected to pay a minimum of three to six months and really good firms are more like five to 8,000 and they're going to want a six month commitment that's a lot of money for a startup brand and, you know, with an uncertain future. And I just kept thinking, well, with all this technology that we have these days, I mean, there's gotta be a way to deliver a good level of support without it costing that much money. And so I set out to try to figure out how to do it. And that is what Presto by Spirit of 608 is. And it is our platform where we have people sign up as members and they get resources and one-on-one help. And it's all um, done in an interactive way so that, for example, if you're a member and you came in and you have a question, um, you can get help and you get specific answers about your situation and you can get, you know, essentially what's one-on-one coaching, but everybody else in the community also has access to that information. So it's kind of a one-to-many model and helps us keep the price down so that we can give that information to people that, you know, are in a stage of business where putting that type of money into their media strategy just does not make sense. Right. No, I love that. And what would you say um, is your, has been your biggest challenge with starting your own brand? God, I mean, do you have a couple hours? (laughs) (laughs) It's really really interesting. (laughs) Um, Well, so, you know, um, it's just the day to day of it to me is, is what's the hardest thing is just keeping, Mm -hmm. like I've interviewed so many founders that um, you know, over the years. And the one thing that stands out to me that is the, you know, source of their success frequently is not a product or an idea so much as it is their willingness to keep at it and their mindset around it. And they just truly believe they have something of value to offer and they just keep hammering away at it. And if what they originally thought was the right solution and they, you know, have to shift it, they don't have an ego about it. They just keep going forward. And so that is what I try to keep front of mind for myself, but you know, it's not always easy to be, um, sort of, you know, in that mode. I mean, I get discouraged sometimes it can be hard not Mm -hmm. knowing what to do or what decisions to make and how they're going to play out. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's probably the biggest challenge is just keeping that entrepreneurial mindset that you have to have. And And it's a hustle. I mean, so you're always having to just think about the next thing. And, you know, even for us, we're, um, you know, we're going on vacation next week on a cruise and I'm having to make sure all the podcast stuff is loaded up for next week when we're gone because we're going to be on a cruise. I mean, 
I can't really be thinking about trying to load up the podcast. And so we're having to do all that stuff. And that, you know, that's stuff that you don't really even think about that you have to kind of, you know, do. And, um, and I think it's all that little, I, it's like minutia. Like, it's just like, I don't know. You're just kind of like all the stuff that you didn't think about. That's the stuff to me that stands out. And that's why I always like asking that question and to hear what other people say is their biggest challenge. So I totally get what you're saying. So, um, I wanted, I wanted to jump into, um, you know, why I brought you on and, um, if you can explain to us what shopping ethically actually means, and then we will jump into, I know you have five great tips that we can go through, but I thought we would start with what does that actually look like and mean to people? Sure. Well, as is the case with anything to do with ethics or values, there are many different ways to approach it, right? I mean, you know, what may be ethical to me may not be the same thing that's ethical to you. I think that the the biggest thing is just being more intentional and thoughtful about how we bring clothing and apparel and really any product into our lives and also thinking about how that product was created, um, who made it, you know, what happened along the, the supply chain for it to get to you and what's going to happen to it after you're done with it. And I think in, you know, U.S. culture, especially, we've gotten to a point where that's not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind when people shop and acquire things. And I think it's a huge disconnect because uh, when you look at food, for example, you know, if there's some sort of suggestion that a food product is in any way tainted or came from, you know, a a questionable place, I mean, people freak out. It comes off the shelves. You know, there's a huge thing about it. And, And clothing is you know, arguably more damaging to the world than, um, you know, many, many other products that are out there. And, um, so I, I urge people to just have a real intentional approach to, um, how they're bringing that stuff into their world. And you can't obviously always buy an ethically made or sustainable brand and that's fine, but, you know, maybe make smaller choices that will eventually, help contribute to shifts in the, in the, the wider industry. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think also breaking it down to, um, the five tips that you have will give such, um, you know, a lot more visual examples to what we're referring to. So how about we jump into the first one? And, um, I think it's focusing on buying better brands. And so if you can go into that and what that looks like and why, uh, why you think that's important. Yeah. So I think this is hugely important. And the reason is that if you set out to buy a better brand at the outset, it can feel unsettling to spend maybe more than you would for another piece that's sitting on a rack next to it, or is in a store like a Target or an H&M or a Zara, for example. But when you invest in a piece that is potentially a little bit more upfront, there are two things that I think are really key that happen um, with that garment. And one is there, it tends to last longer. And so many of our clothes just fall apart after a couple of wash, washes. I mean, you know, the, the way that washing machines and even detergent these days mm. treat clothes, they yeah. break down what we're wearing really quickly. And, um, and that's a whole other subject. But um, if you can have your clothes last longer and do their job longer, then, you know, you're creating less waste that overall, and you're helping contribute to the creation of less waste. And secondly, if you buy a better brand at the beginning and you know what, just a couple weeks in, it doesn't do it for you anymore. 
and it's not something that is going to be a long-term core piece of your wardrobe, you have an opportunity to resell it. And there are a lot of secondhand sites out there and opportunities to um, rid yourself of clothes that you no longer need as long as they're in decent condition. And the better the brand, the better your chances of being able to resell. And so if you have something like, say, a Diane von Furstenberg blouse, you can pretty much bet that as long as it's in good condition, there are no stains and tears in it and things like that, you're going to be able to get rid of that and get some of your money back. And so I just think it's a, it's a wiser purchase, not only for the um, you know environmental and, and ethical uh, piece of the equation, but also just pure um, value that you're going to bring back into your own into your own uh, wallet. Yeah. And so you were saying that there's um, places that people can go and sell that. What are the, what are the top places that you really like? Okay. So there's a bunch of places that I have sold or consigned my clothes after I've worn them and also my kids clothes. Cause kids clothes, it's a huge one where you know, sometimes you'll get gifts from people and your kids don't like the item of clothing and it just sits there and then they grow out of it. So um, one of the best ones to check out is called thread up. And it's spelled thread, T-H-R-E-D, up. And you can request a bag from them. They'll send it to you. You put everything you have into the bag. If they want to keep your items and they can sell them um, via their website, they will do that. And if they can't sell them, they don't meet their standards, then they'll recycle them and donate them for you. If it's a high-end item or something that's sentimental, you can also pay a little extra fee and they'll return it to you if they can't take it as part of their inventory. Okay. Um, so they're a great one to check out. There's also a site called Poshmark and that is a mobile app that allows you to, uh, buy and sell clothes and it's heavily influencer based. So the top sellers typically have really large followings within the app and they have a whole community, um, aspect to what they do. They have conferences to help people learn how to sell better. So that's something if you're really engaged in social media and you love that kind of stuff, um, that's a great one to, to check out. It's also a great place to just look for good deals. And I also think it's worth um, calling out, uh, let's see, Luxury Garage Sale. So mm. has kind of a funky name, Yeah, but they're based in Chicago. I went to their warehouse the last time I was in Chicago and it was amazing. And they have just so many amazing designer brands that people have um, consigned with them. And you can shop their site like you would any e-commerce site and get a, you can also get a box of um, luxury or vintage clothes sent to you mm. that their stylists have picked out. And oh, it's cool. like this great experience where you don't know exactly where they're going to send you. And I've gotten some really great deals there, um, but you can also send your clothes in as well. So those are three uh, options that I think people um, should know about. So with the luxury garage sale, um, is it a similar thing where they send you a bag or something and then you send it in or how does that work? So if you want to consign, then you talk to one of their stylists or team members and they work with you to send in the clothes and then they keep them in their warehouse. So they do all the fulfillment and then you are, you know, you receive money um, after they've been able to sell your items. Um, and then it's similar to, you know, a model like the real real is another um, example of this. And they have, uh, you know, high-end designer fashion um, that's available at about, you know, 80% off. But if you're somebody that has really, you know, beautiful high-end clothes that you're not going to wear, um, especially things with the tags still on them or handbags, right. um, those are great places to check into. And they all have a little bit of a different process for how they, you know, bring items in and, and, and how they pay you uh, after they've sold or, or before they've sold. And so 
um, yeah, I'd encourage people to check out what their current policies are. Yeah. If they're interested. No, that's great. And I know for me, you know, I buy my girls, Matilda Jane. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and that has a really high resale value. And so, uh, pe- especially if you have it in good condition and around here, which I just realized there's consignment sales just for Matilda Jane, which I was like, wow, that's mind blowing to me. And I was seeing in the comments on Facebook, like people tagging their friends and like, we got to drive up to Nashville and I don't even know where they're coming from. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, but you know, cause they're expensive. And, um, so, you know, if you can get them at a discount, it's like, wow, you know, you may be willing to drive a little bit to go get those, um, those clothes and same with Lululemon type things. I've seen people sell them, um, on, you know, Facebook people will be like, I'm offloading a ton of stuff. And I mean, people are like me, 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 me. I want to message me, message me. And so, cause you know, those clothes last for so long. And so, um, I totally understand what you're saying when you are saying buy the better brands, cause they do last longer versus, you know, going to other stores and you're just like wearing holes into them because they're just literally falling apart. So, um, well, and if, if anybody's interested in figuring out what those better brands are thread up came out recently with what it calls its annual resale report and you can oh. find it. You can find it online, but, um, I was looking at it before, uh, talking to you today and, you know, some of the best brands that they say are out there for resale are not, um, they're not even like the most premium brands. It's Steve Madden for shoes. It's Lululemon Mm -hmm. for activewear and then, uh, seven for all mankind, uh, for, for denim. And so it, it tends to be things that are sort of more, um, mid-range, not yes. necessarily like a Louis Vuitton. It's it's right. those things that are accessible to many people. And mm-hmm. if you have them and they're in great condition, you can resell them. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, and so the second tip, buying new, but via secondhand, is this kind of similar to what we were just talking about? Or is there something yeah. completely separate? No, I mean, I just like to point this out to people because a lot of times people hear thrift or vintage or secondhand, they're like, ugh, like I <laughs> don't want to wear anything that's been on anybody else. Right, and I get right. it. I get it. But then there's this huge, um, you know, population of clothing and inventory on all of these sites that's specifically new with tags. So I would just recommend to anybody that is a little bit sketched out by secondhand to search new with tags and only shop that way. I I mean, it's insane. I often get stuff that's never been worn. It's got the tags on it and it's like a fraction of the the original cost. Yeah. I think that's a good point to bring up because I don't think people really do think about that when they're thinking of going to a secondhand shop. So that's perfect. So you, so you look at it, um, you, you do secondhand with tags. Is that what you're saying is the key word to kind of look I, for? I always start. So NWT, you'll, you'll see like a hashtag sometimes on different social media. It, it means new with tags. Oh yeah. Um, or I will search new with tags on a site. A lot of times they have that as a category you can filter by. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this, this leads me into the next tip, um, renting items instead of buying them. So you yes. want to share with us what your thoughts are on yeah, that? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of renting instead of buying. And it's been a really interesting experience for me. I've been a member of a company called Roxbox. I don't know if you've heard of this, but uh, for about a year and a half to two years. And it is a box of jewelry that contains three items. And you pay $19 a month. And you wear what they send you. And if you want to buy it, you can. But if you send it back, they'll send you another box. And mm. So I always have new accessories coming in and sometimes I have a hard time letting them go back to, <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, the company I would and I'll, I'll keep, yeah, I'll keep one here and there, but you know, it's really cool because having these accessories oftentimes gets me to pull new items out of my closet that I've forgotten about 
and to try new outfit combinations. It gives me a lot of style inspiration and it's fun, but then I don't have these things just cluttering up, you know, my jewelry cabinet. And I only buy things that I really, really, really like, and I've worn them for a while. And, and so it's a fun way to just get that fresh element that often people, you know, turn to actually buying cheap stuff for. So I just get that from a rental service. And then there are, um, you know, rent the runway is a service that you can rent, um, dresses and now pretty much any kind of clothing, uh, is available there, but they started out focused on formal wear, special occasion wear, party dresses. And it is a great option if you have to go to, um, a, you know, more formal event and you don't want to buy the dress. And I've had such a great time getting, uh, options from them because it allows me to wear something that's a little bit more over the top than what I would want to buy and just right. own because yep. how many times you're going to wear it. Yeah. So they're another great option. Um, and then there are places like bag borrow or steal, which is a rental handbag site where, um, you can, you know, rent a high end handbag if you want for a certain period of time. And, um, I just think these are really worth checking out because you can experiment with new brands and then not have to make the full investment in, in the item. Yeah. And you know what you, I know you mentioned, um, something about maternity clothes and I think, uh, this, oh, yes. the listeners yeah. would love to hear that. Yeah. I forgot about that. So Latote, that is one, um, definitely to, to check out. They have everyday clothing and it's ranges from sort of casual to office appropriate. And it's a really good, um, affordable price point. And they started out just doing clothes for, you know, normal sizes. But last year they introduced their maternity service and you can buy a three or six month subscription to it. And they send you a box of five items. You wear them when you're done. You can send it back. They send you another box. And I got a, a, I got this as a gift for my sister-in-law who had a baby earlier this year. And, you know, she reported that it was wonderful because she kept having, you know, fresh, new, fun, trendy clothes to wear, but she didn't have to invest in them. And and she didn't feel as dumpy and bummed out about her clothes as a pregnant woman, you know? Yeah. And did you say that's Latote? L A then T O T. Yeah. T O T. Awesome. No, that's really cool. Cause I do feel like people get into a rut and then they don't really want to invest on in all those clothes, especially if it's your last pregnancy and, and you kind of got rid of other stuff and you're like, I don't really want to buy a lot of stuff knowing that, you know, I'm going to not, you know, have another baby. So that's perfect. Um, the, the next tip is, uh, capsule wardrobes. And I know this is a big thing right now, but I also know that not everyone really understands that. So do you want to kind of dive in and tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So the idea of a capsule wardrobe, I actually think there's something really kind of sort of a feminist streak to it. Um, because if you think about the typical male wardrobe guys have, you know, throughout history had certain items that were appropriate to wear, and they get up in the morning and they put them on, you know, my husband wears the same pair of jeans and then like a black t-shirt every day. And it makes life a lot easier. It's very streamlined. And so there's this whole movement afoot, especially in the style blogging community, where people are turning to capsule wardrobes, where they have, you know, 10, 15 pieces they've picked out. And those are the only pieces they wear. And it simplifies their life. It saves them money. And it um, is something that, you know, they share a lot of, uh, outfit ideas and, and ways to, to wear things so that you don't feel like you're living this sort of boring drab style existence. But, um, it's, it's been something that I've been fascinated by. I don't, I do not personally wear a capsule wardrobe, but I know many women who are, you know, more than happy with the results because they don't 
have to really think about clothing in their day to day. They, they just feel like that whole burden has been lifted off their shoulders. Yeah. And I think you mentioned, um, in the notes that we had, um, sent back and forth, is there certain brands that sell items for this concept? Yes. So there are more and more companies that are coming out and creating items that are, um, created, you know, designed with this capsule wardrobe consumer in mind. And probably my favorite, it's called VETA capsule. So V-E-T-T-A. And you can look them up. They sell an assortment of items that come out each season or once or twice a year. And they all go together and certain pieces can be worn in multiple ways. So it'll be a dress and a skirt, for example. But the whole idea is that you're getting maximum versatility out of your clothes and through that, you're able to maybe pay a slightly higher price point for an item that was made ethically and with sustainable um, materials in the U.S. And um, they're still really hip and, and, and you know edgy and cool. The look is, is very much um, of the here and now, and it's not like you're sitting there wearing you know a sack dress. And that's oh yeah, it. yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Um, yeah, the concept behind this that I really like, and I don't do this technically, but what I like is, you know, with my own wardrobe, I tend to wear the same things. You know, I, it's like, I yeah. definitely, if I'm just going super casual, I have yoga pants on and, um, you know, I call that my mom uniform, but if I am wearing my jeans, I have my skinny jeans and I tend to wear the same t- like flowy blouses, you know, with flat shoes and, you know, it's kind of the same, it's kind of the same concept and it, it takes away that mental energy to have to keep picking. And I feel like that's a big reason why capsule wardrobes are so big because of just having to take away that, um, all that mental energy, you know, like Steve jobs always had his black mock turtleneck and jeans. (laughs) So I think, I think some women really feel too, like, you know, you would think taking away and having fewer pieces would feel restrictive, but I think some women actually find it as a bit of a creative challenge. Like how can I take these pieces and make them interesting to me? um, you know, again and again and again, and wear them in new different ways and pair them in different ways. And so there are a lot of interesting bloggers that have tried this stuff and they, you know, it's really cool to see what they come up with. So I'd encourage anyone who's kind of thinking about that concept to dive into the online, you know, blog world, because there's a lot of really, really neat, um, style stories and style features people have done on capsule wardrobes. Awesome. So the last tip um, is about making shopping easier so that you can buy intentionally. What is your thoughts on that? So I have found in my own life that when I go shopping and it is hectic and I am pressed for time and when my kids are running all over the store, hiding in the racks, that that is when I will make a quick fashion decision or buy something that I end up coming home and realizing later that I don't really need. And so I often tell people one of the best ways to be more ethical in their shopping and to be more efficient is just to look for fashion um, and shopping experiences that allow you to be streamlined and, and, you know, and, and efficient and intentional. So for example, um, something like Stitch Fix, which you may have heard of. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people have, have tried it. And by ordering a box, I mean, their, their marketing message obviously is, has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I mean, they're, they want to bring you great clothes and they hope that, you know, they fit you and you love them. Well, I think there's something different about having clothes come to you and you have a minute to try them on and to consider whether or not you really want to buy them and look at them up against the other things that you own in your wardrobe. And I think ultimately that leads to 
purchases that you're going to keep around for a lot longer. And then, um, you know, for children, especially, I think it's really easy. I mean, I know I so many times have been in Target or Old Navy and just for sheer <laughs> desperation have like grabbed something from the rack and been like, yes. okay, let's go. We're going to get yep. this. You need parachutes done. Go. Oh. Yeah. And you know, so there's new services coming out all the time that offer kids clothing via a box and, um, a curated platform like, like Stitch Fix. And, and two, just to mention, um, to check out if you're interested are Rockets of Awesome. And this is a quarterly subscriptions that you sign up and you fill out a profile and your child receives a box of clothing that they've curated, uh, based on, you know, the information that you've given them and you can keep what you want or, um, buy the whole box. And they produce all their own clothing and the idea is for it to be sort of on par with J. Crew, but at a lower price point. And um, I mean, on par with J. Crew in terms of the quality, but at a lower mm, price point. Love it. And then um, there's a, a new service called Kidbox, and they do not operate on a subscription. You can order a box anytime. And they work with a really wide variety of brands, really mainstream brands, department store brands. And you can keep your whole box or keep, you know, pick out a couple pieces and send it back. And they do baby sizes on up through teens. And so it's a really interesting way if you're just sick of going to the store or you don't feel like you have the selection around you or you just have had one too many hectic adventures with your yeah. kids. I think these types of services can lead to just better decision making. That's really cool. Yeah, I feel like that's a neat concept, especially, you know, for working moms that, you know, they're gone all day and they don't really yeah. want to spend their weekends dragging their kids around. I mean, who wants to do that? So I think those are perfect ideas. But um, Lorraine, we're almost at the end of the show and I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And I would love for you to share some ways that um, you can help mompreneurs get the word out to m media about their businesses and um, any other tips that you have for promoting and growing their businesses. So I think the best way to start out with this is for me to ask you some questions about your business and your podcast. Is that okay? Sure. I think that would be great. Okay. So what kind of media outreach have you done in the past? Do you have a media list? Do you ever reach out to journalists locally or beyond your area? Uh, that would be a no. <laughs> this okay. is definitely right. not my strong point. <laughs> no. Well, no. So it's really interesting because you're, most people do not have a media strategy. And most people, I mean, I don't know what your reason for um, not reaching out is, but a lot of times people figure, well, you know, that's just, I, it's not a core part of my, of my business. And, you know, if somebody wants to write about me, they're going to come to me. I mean, have you thought any of those things? In your so I, you know, I, I guess I didn't think about people would come to me, but I, it, my brain just didn't even think that realm. Like, I think I'm, I think more of, okay, I need to just do my hustle on social media and do the best that I can. And, you know, just get my name out there. But I never really even thought about, you know, going the direction that you're even saying. So it didn't even cross my mind. So this is very interesting to me. And I'm thinking a lot of people are going to find this very interesting. So I would love to hear what you're going to say about it. Yeah, well, I find it. So, so many people put a huge amount of time into social media, but they don't put any time into reaching out to traditional media and bloggers and influencers and the people that are producing all of the content that's showing up on various different, you know, digital blogs mm. and magazines and sites from like Forbes to Fortune, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, all that stuff. Oh, so yeah. you would be a perfect person to either be a contributor and writing your own content and getting a contributing writer gig at one of these places or becoming an expert source for the editorial team at various publications. And they know, hey, I need a perspective from somebody who understands 
uh, women who oh, are moms in the yeah. business space. I'm mm. going to call Amber and I know that she's going to give me a really great comment. And she has this whole network of people that she talks to and she could probably connect me with a mom who does this specific mm. type of business that I'm looking for. Okay. So, but they're not going to be able to seek you out because there's so many people right. uh, in the yes. world and it's really helpful if you put yourself under their nose. And so that is what I often help women figure out how to do strategically because you don't obviously have endless numbers of hours in the day. And there's so many different people you could reach. So who makes the most sense for you to put time into contacting is usually my first question. And to answer that question, I would want to know what are your core business goals and who are you trying to reach? I mean, what audience, if you were able to magically reach a population uh, tomorrow of, of new listeners or new customers or new clients, yeah. you know, who would they be? Yeah. And I don't know if you want to answer it, but you'd have to think about who those people are. And then we would find publications that have that audience already, you know, they already have that audience's attention. I see. So kind of uh, like if my audience is moms of young kids or even expecting moms, um, you know, my, so maybe a magazine, or we'll just use that as an example, is Parenting Magazine or a pregnancy type magazine. Is that what you're kind right. of referring to? Yes, but even beyond the traditional magazines, there oh. are tons of um, websites and, and blogs and, and places that are covering. Um, I mean, there's all so much more content out there now for moms and, and um, women today than there was even 10 years ago. So, for example, an online magazine like Mother Mag. Um, not a traditional glossy, but has a mm. really good, solid social media following. Um, and a lot of people who are expecting read it. Um, and there's a number of, of publications like that. So I would advocate for you a mix of contacting the traditional magazine editorial folks, but then also reaching out to the digital sites that have, um, you know, more of social media followings that are really, um, strong and have a lot of engagement there. And then also not forgetting to, talk to your local media because people oftentimes are surprised. Um, they don't think there's any place for them in the local television news or in their local newspaper or alt weeklies, but getting to those journalists can be a really great thing. If you're trying to connect with people in your own area. I love it. So I'm thinking people like me could be sitting there thinking, all right, so how do you reach out to a traditional magazine or to a digital magazine? What is the easiest way? And maybe the most efficient way, you know, cause you could just send something out right blindly right. and hope yeah. that it gets there. But do you have any suggestions on how to do that more efficiently? Yes. I mean, my number one suggestion across the board for anybody trying to do their own media outreach, do their own PR DIYing it is to commit to taking daily action around it. And the reason for that is because you cannot just drop in one day with a press pitch and have no existing relationships with people in the media and, and no track record with, with contacting them um, and, and really get uh, a good result. You might right. get a good like couple of responses, but to really have meaningful coverage over the long term, you have to build relationships with publications. You have to show that you're a part of a conversation that's larger than you. You have to be um, somebody that seems interesting and like an export source. And so the best way to do that is to do something small every single day. Uh, for example, um, start out by networking on social media. So you want to figure out who are all of the media folks that you want to talk to and maybe retweet something that they've posted or, um, 
follow them on their social media platform of choice. Um, figure out if you're in an area where there are a lot of events going on, um, what media are going to be at a certain event. Can you walk up and introduce yourself and begin with the networking and really trying to understand who they are and what they cover and seeing if there are any ways that you can be valuable to them. So instead of just going in with your ask the first time you ever interact with them, you might want to go in with a, Hey, you know, I thought you might want to know about this event that we're hosting or, Hey, you know, I would love to be a resource for you for stories. I happen to be connected to a lot of women who are entrepreneurs in the area. I see that you write about female entrepreneurs would love to chat and see what stories you have coming up, you know, so not directly pitching yourself, but trying to sort of get on their radar. Right. And then in the future, when you do have that news event or that media moment that's coming up that you really want to promote, you put together a formal pitch, you know, and by formal, I mean, you've thought it through, it has a news item, a hook, and you've, you know, kind of written it carefully. And then you start sending it out to them in hopes that they're going to pay attention and, and want to cover you. That's, that is cool. Yeah. And that it definitely is outside my box. And I know that's probably a lot of, um, it's a lot of the same for um, people who are listening, uh, that this is just a totally different way of thinking. So I think just you bringing it up definitely gets my gears turning and thinking, okay, what are some things that I can start doing differently? So I think that's been really awesome. And is there anything else that you would recommend before we close this? Um, You know, any tips or do you feel like that's the main thing? It's just kind of really putting yourself out there, networking, reaching out. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone needs to commit to putting some time into their media strategy because earned media, meaning not sponsored, you know, you didn't pay for it. You got picked up, they mentioned you and and it, and it was earned um, by your reputation. You know, you need to have a commitment to that, just like you have to social media. And then the next step would be to start slowly building a very targeted media list, meaning don't go for, you know, some people will go and buy a list of like 500 people. I would much rather see somebody painstakingly put together a list of 10 really great targets and then trying to build relationships with them over time, starting with um, so- social networking and, mm. and, and digitally networking. And I've seen small brands have really great results from doing that. That's awesome. Well, as we wrap up, where can people find you on social media and your website? So thanks for asking. You can find me across social media at spirit of 608 on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at thespiritof608.com and also prestope.com. Awesome. Well, Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. I had so much fun talking to you and let's stay in touch. And there you have it. Hey, you guys, make sure to check out the show notes on the mominspiredshow.com. It's episode 31. And I am going to put all the links to these amazing places and you won't want to miss it. So again, go to mominspiredshow.com episode 31 and feel free to just click on any links that look good to you. And I will see you next week.